You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will take your Bible this morning and ask you to turn, we're going to look at a couple of verses in John chapter 10 today. If you'll turn there, please, John chapter 10. And uh, as uh, you're turning there today, um, aren't you grateful that uh, we have the answer to every question? And uh, whether that has fully been resolved yet or not, someday it will be in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, I think we'll just look at each other and just say, if we can muster up any words after we're just bowled over by everything that heaven is and just the, the immensity of it and the fact it's never going to end, and we will just look at each other and say, he is. He literally, he is uh, everything we could have hoped for and more. And uh, man, what a day that's going to be. Appreciate Brother Josh leading us and our other worship team and uh, musicians today in that great song. John chapter 10 today, we're going to look at verse 11 down through verse 14. And I appreciate uh, the church being willing to share us last week as uh, we ministered. Well, I did. My wife uh, and boys were still here, but to serve in a wellness weekend down in Alabama last weekend. And it was funny to me, as we finished, um, I was walking out Sunday night, and a lady kind of stopped me at the door almost to warn me. She said, it's kind of cool out this evening. I think she even said, it's cold out. Um, and, uh, and so I stepped outside, let the door close behind me, and had the exact opposite thought. It's warm out. And I looked at my phone, 70, this is cold in Alabama, southern Alabama, 78 degrees. And then I look, I wish I had stayed for another weekend. I think I would, they need some more wellness down there. And so, but a happy spring to you, and uh, glad you made it in safely. It's funny to me how snow, your perspective changes. Some of you are snowbirds, so you're just getting back. You should have waited another week or two. But uh, this is nothing now, is it? Remember the first snow of the season? Whoa, we probably had to shut everything down, but now it's just, it's just another snowstorm. So good to see you this morning. Looking forward to our time together. John chapter 10, let's pick up, if you will, in verse number 11. We'll look at some other verses, but let's begin uh, in verse 11 down through verse 14. Christ says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he, in contrast, that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming. Leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. Christ again says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So we've been looking at this series together in the book of John closer, how to draw closer an intimate connection with Christ through the lens and life of John, who was described as the one that Christ loved He laid upon the breast of Jesus. He was there at the foot of the cross. He tended to follow Jesus just a bit closer. Um, He was at the empty tomb, as we'll study in a few weeks on Easter Sunday. He was always closer to Jesus in some ways. And so through his gospel, we've been looking at snapshots of Jesus, that if we understand them, we can be closer in our relationship uh, with him. Today, we want to look at this aspect of Jesus, Jesus as the good shepherd, Jesus as the good shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your will. Thank you for the worship already we've entered into through song. And now as we continue to worship you, as we open our hearts and minds to your word, Lord, we know today that the natural man receives not the things of God that are found in this book. And Lord, we need your spirit's help today to set aside the distractions, the discouragements, maybe even the the banter back and forth with folks in the room that Lord was more superficial or more this world and its orientation. I pray that we would pause from those things and we would let you deposit into our minds and hearts again, or for the first time today, this picture of you, specifically your son as our shepherd. And Lord, may the analogy not be lost on us who are sheep and those who desperately need your guidance and your provision and your protection to be daily a part of our lives. Help us to draw closer to Jesus whether that be in salvation or the next step in our walk with you. May you move and work in hearts today as we open your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I don't know if you remember uh, two weeks ago when I was here, I was talking about uh, how it's important the mug you drink 
coffee out of. And remember us kind of tongue-in-cheek joking about that. Um, and uh, that's just such a weighty decision. Often what's in the, the cup doesn't matter as much as maybe what's associated with that cup. If you got it at Disney World or you got a cup somewhere that has a memory. Um, the other day, uh, Heath Studer, who's about to get himself in trouble, sent me this picture. Um, and this is his, his mug of choice, right? Um, he sent this to me. So you send it to me. It's fair game, okay? I'm always looking for fresh illustrations, and many of you are great sources of that. Heath probably is one of my leading candidates on that front. But he, he sent me the text with this picture, and then here was the caption. My choice for coffee mugs is easy. It's perfect for days where you have a disagreement with the wife. I have a feeling you're going to have another one today. Um, and you carry this around the house the rest of the day, a silent way to prove your point. You just... Doesn't say anything, just walks around with the mug in front of his wife, and she probably slaps it out of his hand, or she at least wants to. Um, can I tell you today as we begin, the tendency is to view ourselves as the source of everything that's right, or everything that can go right and should go right uh, in our lives. I mean, I say today, you and I live often as if we can, listen to me, and we have to look out for our own needs and wants. Uh, and can I just challenge you today, that's no way to live the life of abundance that God has promised us. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't just put it out there, what he offers us? And again, not in a prosperity gospel way where we're all going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. There are folks out today, some of us may be out next week as we navigate living in a fallen, broken world. But God doesn't just tell us what he offers us, he gives us a guide. He gives us someone to lead us into that place and to guide us through even the challenges of life, and that is his son, uh, Jesus. And so may we today, where we need to, change where we're looking out for our own needs and wants and instead say to God, God, you've promised to meet my needs and wants as one of your children. Do it through Jesus. And I think if we'll let Jesus be our shepherd, there are things we've been wanting God to do or to lead us toward or lead us away from that we'll immediately gain traction and some progress in areas that we've been frustrated over for years when it's not us, but it's Christ through us, leading us, guiding us, defending us, meeting our needs and wants uh, in God's time and way. Now, the analogy of shepherd and sheep is, is found all throughout Scripture. And I, I, I could not find a succinct way to give you an overview of it, but over and over in Scripture, you will see the idea of shepherd and sheep, that that analogy being used all throughout Scripture. And I would just give you kind of a, a general consensus of that. Some of the greatest men in the Bible, and I've used that term by God's grace, were shepherds. That was their initial profession or calling. And some I would remind you of would be Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to study about Abel. Abel was also a shepherd, uh, the first uh, sacrifice that was given there. Uh, Moses. Uh, and David, obviously the one who penned the words of the Psalm 23, one of the, the greatest uh, pictures of God as our shepherd. Um, some of the most famous passages in the Bible employ this same analogy, as I mentioned, Psalm 23. And then another one, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, and so uh, th this idea of sheep, us, our, our being sheep, and God or Jesus being shepherd is found all throughout uh, scripture. And so this idea of God being or Jesus being our good shepherd is not an isolated illustration. I think it's a foundational understanding of who God is, who we are, and how those two things merge together in God meeting our needs, meeting our wants through his uh, provision. So the question today is this, in a day where even Christians are consumed with pursuing their own needs and wants, how do we instead allow Jesus to be our guiding and our good shepherd. Let's talk about today two direct activities of our shepherd that we need to access on a more regular basis. And I just want to say this as we begin today. Ultimately, as an under-shepherd in this room, my goal is not to get you to follow me if I'm where I should be. And I've asked God to help me have the right spirit today, not to gain a following. God's agenda in this room today, he wants to guide you. He wants to be your shepherd. And the, the big question is, where is he trying to do that? And you're missing his actions, his approaches to you as that good shepherd. All right, let's talk about two of them. Number one, Jesus, first of all, as our shepherd, is explaining. He is providing clarity. He's providing explanations that others cannot do. 
um, as I'm looking around the room today, there's a certain group of us who are a bit smarter than the rest, a little more sharp uh, in some ways. Those of us with glasses, okay? The rest of you, you, you would call us nerds, okay? The rest of you. Some of you cheat with your contacts today as well, okay? You're closet nerds, okay? You just hide that uh, with those contacts. Um, the other day, someone shared this with me. I can't remember. I think it might have been Hans Studer. Somebody sent me this. Um, they said, respect people with glasses, here it is. They paid money to see you. Isn't that good? Like, I mean, we went to extra effort. The rest of you, you just, you can't help but look at us, okay? We paid to see you today. Um, can I, isn't it interesting that God provides for us clarity that no one else can provide? I love that God doesn't leave us to our own devices without this book, or at least the lion's share of this book, that we don't even need to be saved to be bluntly put this morning. But he wants us to see things from his perspective. Our shepherd wants us to have clarity where maybe today we don't have clarity. The why questions. We just sung a song with some questions and God and Jesus is the answer to those questions. So the shepherd, Jesus, longs to give us explanations. Could not God and specifically Jesus say to us, follow me? Here's what we parents do when we can't think of the reason, because I said so. Uh, aren't you? And there are sections of Scripture where God does kind of give us that vibe, but for the most part, He explains Himself. And through the ministry of Jesus, His example, His teachings, His Spirit, God wants to lead us toward greater uh, clarity and explanations that otherwise we would not know. All right, let's talk about a couple of them. Number one, draw closer to Jesus' explanation of character. Jesus explains Himself by first revealing to us his own character, character that often was and still is called into question, draw closer to Jesus who provides an explanation of character. Go back to verse 7. Let's talk about two of them quickly. In verse 7, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, or in truth, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Number one, jot this down underneath of that, God provides through Jesus specifically exclusive character. He has character. He has inside of himself integrity that no other shepherd has. I mentioned this last time, two weeks ago, when we were talking about Jesus as the master teacher. There is no teacher, including yours truly, that always teaches with pure motives. That's a constant struggle for us who do a lot of teaching and preaching. And I would say the same about shepherds. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is nobody trying to lead you who has the kind of character or integrity that Jesus has. He always has our best in mind. And here's the struggle. Why then do we balk and hesitate to follow him? Yeah, other shepherds may burn us. I'm going to disappoint you. You're probably going to disappoint me. But he is a faithful shepherd. And so this integrity that exclusively is found in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, prior in verses 1 to 5, he's talking about the fold and referencing what I think is more of a Jewish feel, the fold of Israel. He now shifts from that to now revealing himself, as we just read in verse number 7. He is the door. He is the door not just to the Jewish people, but to the world at large, Gentiles included. We'll get to that more in just a moment. And yet he says, others have come before him claiming the same authority and position, a position, but the sheep did not hear him because their claims were based or steeped in falsehood. All right, look, if you will, now at verse 9. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And so Jesus is the door. It's through him and believing in who he is that provides for us salvation. May I remind you today that Christianity is not a creed. Christianity is not a church. Christianity is Christ. It's who he is. And to let him be our shepherd today, either in salvation or in spiritual growth, we have to believe in who he is. And what I see in our day is a lot of um, jaded, disillusioned views of Christ that are convoluted with failures in the church or failures in we who lead the church. Uh, don't allow that to be a, a block for you in your walk with the Lord. Jesus always has integrity. Trust in him as a person. And you see here, he says, if any man, it's open to anyone, but we have to come through Jesus Christ. Have you chosen 
to walk through the door of Christ? Do you trust in Him? Have you put faith in Him alone for salvation? Notice the end of verse 9, he goes on. He shall be saved, notice, and shall go in and out and find pasture. This is now the experience of the one following Jesus after salvation, going in and out. There's security, there's provision, there's, there's the, uh, uh, the abundant provision of Christ uh, that we see. He is our sustainer, He is our satisfier, He is not just our Savior. Is that the rhythm between you and Jesus? Is He your shepherd? Are you freely coming in and out of His presence with his provision. So may I say today, first key point, Jesus is not one of several pretty good shepherds. He is exclusively the good shepherd. And have you come to the end of your search in other shepherds or focusing on man and man-oriented kind of priorities and pursuits? Are you focused on Jesus alone, who is not the robber referenced earlier in verse 8, he is God himself. Philippians 2.6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Is there any other shepherd that can claim to be equal with God and still have his integrity intact or her integrity? No. He alone is in this category. And so there's an exclusiveness to his character. All right, number two, go to verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. So he's referencing back the agenda of those he's, he's distinguishing himself from. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Number two, jot this down. Not only is it exclusive, number two, it is selfless. So Jesus' character as good shepherd, if we're going to trust him, we have to believe in his character. Not only is he exclusively in a category of his own, his character is also that of selflessness. The thief, why does a thief break into our house? To bless us, just to mix things up and keep it interesting? No, they, they break into our house to take from us, right? To take from us uh, what is rightfully ours. And so they're looking out for themselves. Jesus says, I'm not coming to you. I'm not seeking to be your guide for any selfish reasons. We're going to talk about it here in a few weeks, and I hope that you'll be here for Good Friday and for Easter Sunday but Jesus Christ, when he hung up on that cross, he was saying to all of us, I've come to give myself. I've not come to get, I've come to give. And there is no shepherd who gives of himself more than Jesus Christ. And you notice the end of verse 10, why does he do that? So that we can have life. He died, he sacrificed so that we might have this life more abundantly. There is a level of abundance of life that you will never reach until you're following this selfless shepherd. Whoever liveth to make intercession for us. He, he literally lives today for us. Uh, and so may we follow him knowing he always has our best in mind. All right, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now we get to the direct statement, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Here Christ says, I am, and this is not just him kind of casually throwing out that verb. He's saying, I am God. As God, I am uh, alone, this good shepherd. He is equal with God. He is the one we must follow. If you would think about, we don't have a lot of, we have some sheep in our county, but sheep is probably not our largest agricultural segment here in Wayne County. But typically a shepherd and sheep, their relationship normally ends with a couple things. The sheep being sheared, right? And then eventually, mutton, right? The, the sheep gives their life for the shepherd. Where else do we see in any context where the shepherd is giving his life for the sheep? Um, he gives his life for us. And so this sacrificial, selfless character of Jesus Christ. Verse 12. And before we read these verses... I think I mentioned this before, but one of the best ways to study something, like if there's a word that I want to understand the definition of it, one of the best ways to understand something is to see what's opposite of it, right? So what's the antonym? A synonym would be another word of the same kind. An antonym would be something that's, that's the opposite of. And I love that Christ here gives us to help us understand who he is. He talks about who he's not. That, that's now the next two verses. Look at it, verse 12. But he, all right, but, this is the contrast, he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, and the, the folks of this day, this would have resonated with them, whose own the sheep or not, seeth the wolf coming, leaveth the sheep, fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling, 
and careth not for the sheep. And so we see this analogy of a shepherd who at times, maybe for vacation or just for a break or whatever, at, at a certain age would hire someone to watch his flock. And the difference between the shepherd and the hireling is he didn't own those sheep. He would use those sheep for his own agenda. And, and we see he did not care for them. He was interested more in his own welfare. Now, the word good that's found here in verse number 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And then as we ended a moment ago, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. That word good, if you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down, means the following. Ideal worthy, choice, or excellent. Uh, Ideal, worthy, choice, or excellent. So that word there that he uses twice in the text, he's saying, I'm I'm at a level no one else is. I am the ideal shepherd. Um, I am the choice shepherd. I am the worthy shepherd. As we just sang a moment ago, I am the excellent shepherd. There's no one as good as the good shepherd. And yet, how many of us are listening to voices and following in the footsteps of lesser shepherds when we have access to the good shepherd? May I say to you today, and I see it when I I watch the cars drive around our county, I watch it in the eyes and hearts of folks in our county, good people, people that, that, that have a lot going for them, morally, financially, whatever the case may be but folks who have come to the conclusion, I can't trust anyone. And because they can't trust anyone, they're looking out for themselves. Not in a, not in a blatant way, they're just surviving on their own, they're deciding on their own, they're prioritizing on their own, and they're missing out on much that Jesus wants to be. Here it is, either you trust Jesus or you don't. Either you trust his character or you don't. And who you're following tells me who you're trusting in. And who I'm following tells you who I'm trusting in. Do we trust Jesus as much as we claim to and who we are following? There are many hirelings in religion today. I will concede that. It is a struggle to cut through religion and religiosity and those who often are leading at the point of those movements. May I remind you, bluntly put, they are hirelings. Let's be honest about that. But may we not throw the baby out with the bathwater. May we not miss out on God's leadership in our lives. The sheep that we are need a shepherd. And Jesus is God, which means he always has our best in mind. Trust him, follow him, yield to him wherever he brings that to bear today. All right, last thought on that. We'll move to our second part of this first point. Um, Miss Rita uh, Flynn shared a video with me this morning. I think maybe I, someone else posted it after her. she did as well. It was a video of a, a group of Ukraine uh, believers who had left. I think Kiev is where they were. They've been displaced. And this morning earlier, I think it was recorded this morning, their church service would have been several hours before ours today. They were singing a song that we sing all the time, Brother Josh. Um, God has been good to us, the goodness of God. And they were singing it in Ukrainian, so I couldn't understand as I was watching it. But they had a guy on a piano, just a basic piano, as they're probably not in their normal setting of worship. Someone in the background with a guitar. And then a few ladies and a couple other guys mixed in, singing at the top of their lungs in Ukrainian that song. And I just remind you of a few words of it that I I couldn't get the video downloaded. I was wanting to show maybe a bit of it today. Uh, I love your voice. You've led me through the fire in the darkest night. You're close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. These people have lost everything, and they're singing that. All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing. I will sing of the goodness of God. And I just challenge you today with this. Sometimes we live in our world with all of its safety, and and it's kind of just we have some comforts that some parts of the world don't have today. Our lives are good enough that we don't really appreciate and lean into the goodness of God. And I just want to challenge you today. Either God is good or he's not. And if he is good, then he's worth following. And any excuse you make or I make is us being foolish, to say the least. Follow the God and the Jesus who is good. Never doubt his character. Follow him. All right, go to verse 14. Let's spend a moment here in a second aspect of Jesus and his willingness to explain himself when we are not 
We don't deserve that. We're not entitled to that, but he still gives it to us. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Number two, jot this down, draw closer to Jesus' explanation of intimacy. So he's going to tell us about his character. Number two, he's going to say, here's the closeness that you and I can have. There's an intimacy here um, that other shepherds cannot offer. That there's a closeness, there's a proximity that you can have between me and you that otherwise uh, cannot be realized. Um, Some of you did not help me two weeks ago. Remember I told the illustration of Heidi, got myself in a world of hurt, and she was sitting, I think, right back where Nick was. If you move, I don't even know if you're at church, okay? So I kind of scan for a minute. Um, Some of you just let me bury myself. I'm still digging out of that hole. She is, she is out sick today, so pray for her if you will. She's probably watching right now, so I'll try to be careful with this illustration. Um, but have you ever noticed when you get close to someone, like where there's more of an intimate connection, you start to realize things you have in common, and then you also realize a few things that you just see differently. Can you remember that, or do you have that going on, or am I the only one that you and your spouse or some other close person, you're like, you're crazy for thinking that. I'm not saying that's me, but for those of you out there, um, th- this idea of we don't see things the same. For us, one of the things that's ongoing is pillows. Have I talked about that? I don't think I've talked about this before. This is a major issue in our marriage. Is I don't, probably to be a bigger issue after I bring it up today, but why we have two pillows we sleep on in our bed. Why is there another like 30 that we move? There's not 30, okay? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I got an amen. I don't get amens a lot anymore. I just got one. That's good. Um, but where you're like, you move them off, and normally our rhythm is, Heidi gets up pretty early with teaching, and the boys leaving, they leave about seven in the morning, so I'm usually the one that makes the bed, and it's just the same, like these, and we never sleep on them, and nobody else sees our bedroom, so why are we, what's the deal here, you know? Um, and I shared this with the church I was at last weekend. This to me makes, this makes sense. This was probably written by a guy, but here it is. Here's what throw, uh, throw pillows are. Throw pillows are basically grown-up stuffed animals. <laughs> they serve no purpose, but we just have to have them, okay? Doesn't that just click? They are grown-up versions of stuffed animals. I remember my bedroom having them on the bed. That's literally what they are. That totally clicked for me. Can you think about the things, think about this for a moment, who Jesus is and that he wants us to know him And then more incredibly, he wants to know us when there's so many things that we don't see the same way. Jesus explains himself as the shepherd in saying to us, I want to be close to you, I want you to be close to me. There is a level of intimacy that we all crave, a connection with somebody that I'm telling you we'll never fully realize until we're following Jesus. A connection with God that also translates to a connection with other believers, even the lost, there's a difference in that. Once we get intimate with Jesus, everything uh, goes to that unique level. And so let's talk about this for just a moment, this idea of intimacy that's found exclusively in Christ. Number one, jot this down, there's a known, known intimacy. This idea of knowing and being known. Scripture even uses this word uh, tastefully to describe even uh, the marriage act and the intimacy of the marriage bed, the idea of knowing one's wife, the, this knownness, being known, not just physically, but emotionally and on a soul level, God offers that to us through Jesus Christ. And in verse 14, Jesus speaks of an intimate relationship that's between him and his sheep. I strive for that as a pastor, that I'm not viewed as in a different category, or I'm up on some, you know, if you've been in churches where they've got the pulpit, is, is this pla- it's, it's above the audience, and we have some, some elevation for line of sight, but this is not to elevate me. Um, and Jesus, he's willing to come down to where we are. He's willing to know us in a way um, that otherwise we would never be known, this intimate relationship between us and Christ. In verse 15, he tells us how intimate this is. Look at verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. Doesn't that almost seem like it's out of the blue that he says that, except for the fact we just read verse 14? He's saying, listen to me, that the same kind of intimacy between the Trinity, the eternal God the Father and God the Son, that only was breached for a moment for our own salvation on the cross, that that same level of knowing and being known is available to us if we'll simply follow him. That's a, an unbelievable thought. The Father and the Son, always in step, 
always abiding in each other's presence. That's the kind of access we have to God and to His Son if we simply will follow this good shepherd. What a tremendous level of intimacy is offered to us. Verse 16, and another sheep, this is not just for an exclusive few, and, another, and, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, I think a reference to those that were his Jewish audience, them also, here's now the Gentiles, also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and shall be one fold and one shepherd. And of all the verses in, ver- <laughs> verse in chapter 10, this is probably one of the most important verses as Christ expands his shepherding to not just the Jewish fold, but he almost creates a new fold, and in it he brings together Jew and Gentile. And several of Paul's epistles speak on this idea of removal of the barrier and bringing into one body. Uh, we, in the room, as far as I know, most, if not all of us, are Gentiles. This is our onboarding point. We also have access to this known intimacy between God and us. It is available to all who will hear God's voice. May I say today, you will never know real intimate fellowship with God until you let Jesus be your shepherd. Don't buy the God is an impersonal force. May the force be with you, kind of an interaction between us and God. He is so much more than that. Some of us, this is a a little easier for God every day as it passes, but God knows the hairs on your head today. How many were there last Sunday and how many are now there today, okay? Uh, Whatever that is for us guys especially. Um, God knows us on an intimate level. Um, the one leading us is not leading us like we're just mass-produced. Well, here's God's will, and it's just this generic, everybody's got to do this or go this direction. He's leading us individually and uniquely, always aligned with His Word and Spirit, but He longs to be that close to us. And, and we know Him, and He knows us. That's the, the, the vibe of God's intentions. Here's my question. Is that going on between you and God today? And if it's not, somewhere, Jesus is not the one guiding. You're calling the shots, or you've, you've abdicated to that some other lesser shepherd or leader. Let Jesus be your shepherd. When he is, you, there will be this known intimacy between you and him. All right, verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Verse 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Here's him talking about the logistics now of giving his life, referenced back in verse 10. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Number two, jot this down. Not only is it a known intimacy, it is an initiated intimacy. Initiated intimacy. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he what? First loved us. Jesus is God's move toward us that leads to the intimacy we have or we can have with God. He is the one who initiated. Jesus now explains what he would do in order to bring Jew and Gentile to himself. As God, he had the power and prerogative to lay his life down and also to take it back up. And the Father loved Jesus because of his willingness to do that. His willingness to not be a victim, but to be a victor over death, hell, and the grave. And so this last thought, and we'll move to our second point today, Jesus as the good shepherd did not have to be cornered and wasn't a victim in relation to the cross. He went toward it on purpose to reach you, to save you, and to be able to guide you even this morning. He initiated this relationship of intimacy between you and him. The cross was a rescue mission for which Jesus volunteered. He willingly He willingly yielded to all that it meant so that you could follow him. You could be drawn into relationship with him. I don't know if you realize this, but we are now almost exactly two years removed from all of whatever we would describe these last two years to be as we started hearing rumblings from Asia of of COVID and I think it was coronavirus back then is how we referred to it. But I just took a screen grab because one of my pastor friends, this is our first Sunday, Brother Nick, to the right there, and then yours truly. This is the first Sunday we met live stream. Would have been March 22nd, 2020. And I wish you could hear not what I was saying on the feed. You can go back and watch it, but what was going around in my brain, trying to focus as a few musicians and our sound, Pastor Dave and maybe another guy, there's just a handful of us here, as we try to communicate through the camera we're using today for those who aren't able to be here. But I just remember that feeling of, man, what's going on and where's this headed and 
Um, that was just over two years ago. It feels like 10, to be honest with you. It feels a lot longer than two years ago. Our world has changed, and I think normal's probably not coming back. Jesus is, but we don't, you know, normal's and its, its state back then probably is not to be resumed in some ways. But what's amazing to me, think about this for just a moment. On that day, while we were meeting virtually, some of you have joined with us since then, the whole world was doing the same thing. And it was interesting to me, there was an article I read this last week that where they had pictures of, of believers all over the world as the time change zones went through, worked through, as people gathered. And, and this, this author who wrote the article had asked people to take a picture of that moment where for the first time, maybe ever in human history, God's people were meeting in that setting. It was a really odd day. I just remember all of it, preaching and then walking out and just felt like, did that matter? Just kind of threw out those thoughts into the ether, if you will, into outer space, and did it make a dent or a difference? I remember all that we were working through. Can I say to you, two, day, two years removed from that, I don't see that Sunday as the beginning of the great crisis. I also don't see it as the beginning of the great conspiracy. Either of those extremes that I think all of us had to work through the last couple of years. I think what happened as a result of that that's still going on today is a couple of things happened. Number one, it was revealed, because I see this now two years removed, that our shepherd was leading us. We didn't know what all was going on. And where, I mean, there are folks in this room that have been saved or added to our church, not because of, but in the midst of all that we've been through the last two years. And I, I, I see his hand in that. It also has separated the sheep from the goats, hasn't it? Um, and they may still be going to churches. Some are not anymore, but it's brought to bear that. And then here's the last thing. I was just on the phone with a pastor this last week. He said to me, I'll be with him in May. He's in Denver, Colorado area. He has lost 40% of his church in the last two years. And not all for bad reasons, just people with work being relocated, lost 40%. You know what also has done? It's reminded we who are under shepherds, there's a shepherd in charge, and we have no clue. And we need him. We desperately need him. And though I wouldn't want to repeat the last two years, I wouldn't change what I know about our shepherd today as a result of it. Do we believe that today? And are we following him and letting him call the shots and direct us wherever needed? Because he is good, he is faithful, he's the one initiating everything that is to occur. All right, go down, if you will, now to verse 25. And let's talk about, secondly, the shepherd who not only explains himself, but applies his teaching to our footsteps, our little sheep hooves, if you will, as we follow behind this one who is the good shepherd. Look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye, speaking now to the, the Jewish people who are rejecting him, but ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. The shepherd that applies. He's going to apply his teaching to our lives. Um, I'm looking around as I'm preaching today. I can see more than you think I can see for those who pray now and then during church. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> or just meditate on that profound thought the preacher just said. Um, some of you, though, can sleep with your eyes open. I figured that out on you as well, okay? Um, but as I'm looking at you today, whether you're using a, a physical Bible or a digital, you know, your phone, at least you're claiming again that you're following with me instead of checking March Madness scores or whatever, um, which do you prefer? I, I still like a physical Bible. Now, is it heresy to read out of, off a phone? I'm not going to go there. Good luck with that uh, in Scripture. But I, I was talking with, heard this through a, a mutual friend of a old school mindset, which I would be of the old school mindset. And preacher said this, reading my Bible on an iPhone, here was his analogy, is like kissing my wife through a screen door. That was his, his analogy of just how that, how that feels. And I, I would agree. I just like to dog ear the pages and underline it. Um, even a, a, a secular book, I just enjoy the physical pages. Aren't you thankful that Jesus tells us not just in general what he's doing and why he's doing it, but then he gets very practical. I think sometimes, listen to me, the guidance of Jesus is too abstract. Yeah, are you a follower of Jesus? Yes, I am. And then here's the question. Did you pray before the last decision? Where's your scripture and where's your chapter and verse on the move that you're about to make that you feel is of God? We talk about Jesus being our shepherd, but it doesn't bring to bear practical application or implications 
uh, as much as I would submit to you God has intended. So it's not just to be philosophical. It's not just to be abstract, this shepherding of Jesus. It's meant to be very practical uh, as we follow him. Our shepherd is not just doling out philosophical thoughts. He's trying to lead us and to do so in a very practical and specific manner. And I could list for you tons of them, but we know we're, and I've talked about this before, but we know what our relationship with God's word is to be, right? We're to be in it. It's to be in us. And yet it's not. And we claim that we're still a follower of Jesus. So whatever that specific application is, stop making the excuses. Let the shepherd apply his leadership. Now, just quickly, by way of context, if you go back to verse 22, it says that this is winter time. So there's a gap between what Jesus says at the beginning of John 10, likely almost a nine-month shift from what we know earlier described in John 10. There's a time gap. And this is the last collision between Jesus and the religious rulers of the day in the sense of philosophically. And he's going to teach some things that his disciples would hear and would apply in the months ahead. And so nine months removed, Jesus is now bringing to bear the application of him being the good shepherd. All right, two things under that quickly. Number one, draw closer to Jesus' application of exclusion. So the first thing he's going to say is, my shepherding has first the application. If you don't follow me, you're going to be excluded. You're going to be on the outside looking in because you reject me as the good shepherd. And so if you choose to not follow Jesus or you just don't choose to follow Jesus, you've already chosen to be on the outside looking in at much of what he has promised. One of the other things I find often that creeps into our thinking, yours truly to begin with, is it almost as if there's this default thing that's going to happen between me and God that it really doesn't matter what I do with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. There are things you will miss out on. There are things I will miss out on if Jesus is not our shepherd. Uh, And so this application of exclusion, we miss out if we are not behind him. All right, two things. Number one, they exclude us. Number one, excluding disbelief. And we see that in the verses we just read. He says, you believe not. The first thing that has us on the outside looking in of where Jesus is leading those who will follow him is our disbelief in him. And so he says to them, I've done works. Remember, we talked about that two weeks ago. He says, I've done all these works and you still don't believe that I am God. Uh, And so rejecting, uh, believing in his words, believing in his works. And he says in verse number 26, this gives evidence that ye are not my sheep. You're not my sheep if you don't follow and believe in me. All right, verse 30. He says, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Number two, the second thing that keeps us from being, or helps us or moves us toward being excluded is excluding resistance. We resist the shepherd. So we disbelieve him. Number two, we resist where he's trying to take us. We, we resist where his authority and his sovereignty is being applied in our lives. They realize that Christ is claiming not just to be another shepherd, but to be the shepherd. He's claiming that he is God, and so their response to that is to pick up stones. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you for my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, maketh thyself God. And so they reject him based upon his claims they view as false when he truly is God in the flesh. One of the things I love about our shepherd that no one else has is his walk and his talk match up. You see that there? Jesus is like, okay, I'm not just claiming this. Look at what I've done. Look at what God has done through me. And so he's more than just talk, he is walk. And the one leading us as our shepherd backs up his words with his works. He he is faithful, he has evidenced his love, his integrity, his, his, his purpose in our lives. Why would we then resist him? Lastly, on this section, go to verse 39. Therefore they sought again to take him. All right, he says a few more things to them we don't have time to look at today. Verse 39, therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. In John chapter 7 and verse 30, as well as verse 32 and verse 44, we see an instance where they try to seize Jesus or trap Jesus in chapter 8 and verse 20, and now here in chapter 10. And each time they try to resist him or to take him, 
he escapes out of their hand. It is not yet his time, uh, and so he easily eludes them. Um, one of the things that we struggle with is the exclusiveness of Jesus. Do you struggle with that? To tell someone who's a sincere, quote-unquote, good person, that if they don't trust Jesus as personal Savior and Lord, that they are outside looking in at heaven itself and God's grace and forgiveness. That's a hard part of our message, isn't it? And maybe today that's something you as still one seeking to find God struggle with that. How can someone who's so good and nice and wholesome be excluded from the presence of God, the provision of God uh, through Jesus Christ? I was reading the other day, an author, I think, put it better than I could. He said, if your view of God is small, you will wonder why there cannot be many ways to Him. If your view of God is big, you will marvel that there's even one. God doesn't need to give us multiple ways to be a good, gracious God. If He gives us one, that's more than gracious on His part. So let that be our message. Let that be the anthem of our faith and our testimony. God is good to give us even one way to himself. He's a holy God. He's a grand God. He he has one son and he sent him and gave us one way and one truth and one life that leads to the Father alone. May we draw closer to Jesus when he brings that application of exclusion in our following of him. See, to disbelieve and resist Jesus is to resist God. And last time I checked, that's a losing proposition. To be on the opposite side of God, you you already have chosen to lose. Own that. Yield to what his shepherd, his son, is seeking to lead and guide you in. Get in sync with his will and purpose. Allow that to bring to your life salvation and sanctification and ultimately security. All right, go back, if you will, now to verse 27. Let's talk about quickly the positive side of Jesus' application as the good shepherd. So draw closer to his application of exclusion. Number two, jot this down, draw closer to Jesus' application of inclusion. So if we apply his truth and his leadership in our lives, instead of resisting it and disbelieving it, we are included. We are included. Um, I don't know if you know what donuts are or not. You know, the real healthy powdered little spheres and little plastic tubes at gas stations. Check the expiration date. That's just me helping you out today, okay? Gas station fare, you may want to do that, okay? I've learned the hard way on that. Um, but they just introduced a new product. They're three times bigger, donuts, that they've infused them, have you seen this? With caffeine. So one donut has the, equal, the equalness of one cup of coffee, the caffeine. So you can do coffee and donuts without doing the coffee. You can have it all just in one donut. Isn't it amazing the things we combine, I've told you this before, like walk down the cereal aisle and see, you know, or the applesauce aisle and you see pear flavored applesauce or whatever. That's just a pet peeve of mine where we merge things, right? Like either have pears or have apples, but why mix the two? Merging things. Can I tell you today, it, I can't even put into words how amazing it is that a holy God, a holy God gives us someone to lead us into his presence as complete losers that we are. Morally, relationally, we are so dysfunctional outside of his grace and mercy. And he's brought us someone, given us someone who leads us literally in the presence of himself. We can come to him in prayer today, boldly, Hebrews 4.12 says, and receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. We can come right into his presence. That's the kind of inclusion we have only as we follow this shepherd called Jesus. And so may we be willing to appreciate that as he brings to bear his authority and his application in our lives as leader. Leader. Okay, look at these last few verses. He says in verse 27, let's talk about now those who are in the fold versus those who are left out as referenced in verse 25 and 26. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. These are some of my favorite verses in scriptures. It relates to eternal security. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my, my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. All right, two things under that. We're done. Number one, including identification. Including identification. One of the things I love about Jesus is he's very clear in identifying who are his sheep. Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever doubt that? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I really one of the fold? Am I really in? 
Um, I would guess there's at least one or more in the room today that's your struggle. Apply now these identifying characteristics, just like you could tell me literally if you saw a sheep or a cow or a pig, you know, what noise does it make? We do that with our kids and grandkids, right? We know what the noise is for a sheep. We know what a sheep looks like. What's a sheep look like that's following the shepherd? Uh, He's very clear on that. I'm grateful for that. He identifies them. Three things quickly he gives us. Number one, as we just read in verse 27, they hear his voice, which means when when this book is open and when God speaks, they hear his voice. They follow his voice. Is that a rhythm in your life? This is open and God speaks and you hear God. Not not in some um, ex-cathedral or some mystical way, but you sense God speaking to you through his concrete word. Is that happening on a regular basis? You have to be in it for that to happen. But when you are in it, is that occurring? Do you hear his voice? He's very clear on that in verse 27. The unsaved have little to no interest in this book. The only interest they have is to dissect it or to slander it or to use it against uh, maybe even we who are believers, there's not a feeding upon it. There's not a desire for it as the sheep have. Number two, notice the end of verse 27, he says, and they follow me. So we know Christ, as we talked about earlier, and we follow him, which means we obey him. So we get in his word because we want to, and when we're in it because we want to be in it, I also want to do what it says. I want to believe it. I want to obey it. I want to, I want to live it out. I want to share it with others. There's a hunger for that to do His Word. Bluntly put today, no one has a right to claim to be one of Christ's sheep if we live in willful, persistent, open disobedience to God's Word. How dare we? The one who laid down his life for the sheep and we claim to follow him, but we're not willing to follow his Word. It's all or nothing. And so just as there are false shepherds, as we talked about earlier, there are also a few goats who claim and and put up the facade, but they're really not following Jesus. And that starts with salvation. I've said this before. Salvation is a command. He commands men everywhere to repent. Even salvation is obeying God's word, obeying it and just keep obeying it. That's the sign. That's the symbol of a genuine faith. Jesus is the only shepherd is only the shepherd of those who hear and obey his word, period. No exceptions. All right, and then lastly, you notice in verse 28, he says, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Thirdly, these sheep who are in the fold have eternal life and possess a sense of security. Security that comes from hearing the word and obeying the word. And then that security that comes as we hear it. I I would reference to you again, 2 Peter 1, where it talks about if we don't add to our faith, that list, we even forget that we were purged from our sins. And so this process of hearing God's word and obeying God's word leads us to an abiding sense of security. If your life is plagued with doubt, just you can't shake it, can I encourage you? Yield to Christ. Follow Christ. Let Him be your Savior. Let Him be your Lord. Yield to that no matter what anybody else thinks or feels. Follow Him. He loves you. He cares for you. And so there's hearing His voice, obeying His word, possessing eternal life and the security that goes with it. And it's interesting because really our security then is twofold. Not only do you see that, we're in Christ's hand and we're also in the Father's hand. I mean, who's going to shake us, including our own hands, from those two hands that carve the canyons. I mean, let's just think about that. So to follow this Jesus is to possess an abiding sense of security that is unshakable. One author said this, Christian, if you're not united to Christ by faith, you are as secure as Christ is. When has Christ been shaken? When has Christ been moved? He's enthroned. He is solid. He is steadfast. And so if we are in Christ We are just as secure as he is. All right, go to the end of the text then. John concludes the narrative portion in verse 40. So they try to take him. He escapes. Where does he go? Well, John gives us where Jesus goes and went away again beyond Jordan in the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. Lastly, jot this down, including, (laughs) excuse me, association, including identification, number two, including association. And verse 41 goes on to say, And many resorted unto him, 
and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. These, unlike others, were willing to associate with Jesus Christ. I'll just show you one picture. I know our time's almost done. This is a picture of the Jordan River that I would have been at back in January. Um, it's not as big and wide as it was in my brain. There's a lot of reasons for that. The Jordan River now is used to irrigate a large portion of that area of Israel, and so the river has gone down. They had some, you can see kind of the bank, the river would have used to run. What you're looking at is Jordan, all right, ahead of you, behind you is Israel. And this is likely, un, unlike some faiths or religions that have another site they prefer, this is likely where the baptism of Jesus occurred. What's interesting is based on some of the geography, and this was a light bulb moment for me amongst many when I was there, is this is also very possibly the place where the, the Israelites first entered the promised land. Remember the stones? They put them in the middle of the river and then the water closes back over it and they also put a stack on the bank. That's interesting. Why did Jesus get baptized or why was John doing baptism in the very place where that had occurred. Isn't it possible that's because that's where the Israelites would come to memorialize that? So John strategically didn't just pick some random place in the wilderness next to the Jordan to conduct his baptism and his preaching of repentance. He actually did so in a place that was already familiar, and people would gather. Hey, did you hear John's down at this site? Very interesting. And so this is the Jordan River. Jesus comes back to this place where it all began, when he associated with John, who was an outcast of society in that day, and the story ends where it had begun. May I just say to you today, to follow Jesus as the shepherd means sometimes we're going to be on the outside looking in on the man front. We're not on the outside looking in with God, but we are often with others. And sometimes we have to choose between following Jesus and being in the in crowd. As much as we mock and marginalize the teenagers, we are just as guilty of caving to peer pressure. One of the greatest struggles in this room is, is Jesus really our leader or what is socially acceptable? What is, what is mainstream? Are we willing to follow Jesus when there's a conflict between the two? Hebrews 13 reminds us, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Are we willing to identify with Jesus in those moments? One author said this, anyone who takes the commands of Christ seriously will be considered dangerous by those who don't. We're a threat. When we follow Jesus, that's often viewed in a negative way. Are we willing to stand for him even when that occurs? You and I can only include in the full of God if we're willing to let Jesus be our shepherd. Where are we trying to cozy up to God without Christ? Is Christ our leader? All right, let's end in Revelation 7 for just a moment, if you would. Revelation 7 and verse 17. Revelation 7 and verse 17. And as you're turning there, um, I don't think I've shared this story before. Heidi and I, several years ago when we were in Michigan, we stayed at a very nice hotel. I want to emphasize that because I took my wife to a very nice hotel to try to make up for the comment she heard me say earlier. They also had throw pills, I think, if I remember right. Very, very nice ones, by the way. Um, but we were staying at the Grand Hotel in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And this is not a place that we country folk at least go to regularly. Um, and I came down to the lobby, and I was just staying there. I think Heidi was coming. I was waiting on her. And out of the elevator in front of me, doors open. Two big burly guys walk out. And then behind them, and I've learned if there's two big dudes, there's usually like somebody famous following coming after that. George Foreman walked out of that elevator. Now, I have to admit to you, my generation associates little grills that we'd grill hamburgers on. That, that's more my era. Some of you associate other more tough guy things than that with him. But I was reading, and, and I didn't even say hey to him. I, I just felt like I didn't want to be like, you know, this guy following him around, sign my shirt, or, you know, I don't know. I just, I, so I just, I did say hi or something, but, you know, whatever. I can't remember all this. He, I'm sure it was meaningful for him as well. Um, <laughs> but I was reading an article about him the other day. Uh, that um, would have been written several years ago. Uh, in fact, it was an excerpt from a book he wrote. I don't know if you ever heard this book called God in My Corner, the idea of, of being a boxer and God in his corner. And he said this in one excerpt. He said, in 1974, before I went to Africa to fight Muhammad Ali, a friend gave me a Bible to take along on my trip. He said, quote, George, keep this with you for good luck. 
And he said this, I believe the Bible was just a shepherd's handbook, probably, and that's what resonated with the study today, probably because the only verse I knew was, the Lord is my shepherd. But I was, it's amazing that, you know, we forget that perspective of the world about the Bible, but I was always looking for luck, so I carried the Bible with me. I had luck pennies good, uh, and good char- uh, luck charms, so I just added the lucky Bible to my collection of superstitious items. After I lost the fight, I threw the Bible away. I never even opened it. I thought the Bible didn't help me win, so why do I need it? Then he said this in hindsight several years later. He said, I thought I'd get my power simply from owning it. I didn't realize that I needed to read it and believe what it says. Since then, I've come to understand that the Bible is my roadmap, not my good luck charm. And that's the issue. Is Jesus the good luck charm that you add to the end of your prayer at a meal every now and then? Or is he out in front leading you? Now, I'll give you this last verse. Look in Revelation 7 and verse 17. This is amazing. So everything's unraveled. God has brought everything back together. He's working through all of that. And these chapters we're, we're in in Revelation. Verse 17, it says this. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You see the word feed that's found there? The word actually has the idea of shepherding. It's not just, hey, here's a, here's a number five happy meal, or a happy meal, a number five supersize, whatever, just slapping. It's, it's careful feeding. The idea here is shepherding. And so literally, eternity will be Jesus as our shepherd. Therefore, I would submit to you, loving today, we ought to get used to him leading us. Um, a friend of mine shared this. His dad's now with the Lord. I don't know if you've thought about when I get to heaven, I want to see so-and-so, and we're going to talk about this, and family, and then also some famous, you know, Saint Moses, if we could just have a cup of coffee together, I'd like to ask him the following, whatever. I think we've got to be careful with that, because we don't necessarily see that in Scripture. Maybe, maybe some of that will be ours, but here's a thought. A man, a pastor friend of mine, his dad said this just prior to going to heaven. He said, when we get to heaven, all you will see is the back of the saints who have gone before. Everyone is turned to worship the king of kings. When we get there, there's only one shepherd. There's only one Lord. And if we know that already, probably we ought to be living in light of that right now. Is Jesus your good shepherd? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.